the Worst Bestsellers, where we read about horny Catwoman so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Catwoman Soul Stealer by Sarah J. Mass. Joining us to discuss this DC icon's YA novel is the Meredith Goldstein, host of the Boston Globe podcast Love Letters, author of the YA novel Things That Grow, and avid reader of books about horny fairies as written by Sarah J. Mass, for better or worse. She also loves Batman shit. Hello. Meredith, welcome back. Thanks for having me on for this particular book. It's it's so your brand, and I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling from ear to ear, like a joker, one might say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right off the bat, I want to say, I want to say so many things, so I don't even know where to start. Oh, but I will start with our live show announcement. Oh, yes. Which we're doing a virtual live show uh, presented by Porter Square Books. If you're listening to this episode as it comes out, it's um, this Thursday, April 14th at 8 p.m. It's free. There, If you go to worstbestsellers.com, there will be a link that you can click on to sign up for it. Uh, it should be a, a rollicking good time. I, I will I will give a small hint, which is at our last Porter Square Books live show, we did perhaps discuss uh, continuing our journey through the uh, Hollis Cinematic Universe, <laughs> and we may have uh, settled on doing just that with our, uh, you know, in-house Hollis expert against her will because we keep <laughs> making her read these books, <laughs> Margaret H. Willison. I mean, I do have to say by April 10th, I think all of this will be public, but yes, uh, Dave Hollis, it's, we're reading a Dave Hollis book. We but. are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for our, that's our future problem. And our current problem is, our, our current and past and future problem is Sarah J. Mass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and our specific Sarah J. Mass problem, which is interesting because it's the opposite of our, one of our usual Sarah J. Mass problems for a given definition of problem, is that this book wasn't horny. Yes. Yes, like we put horny Catwoman in the intro as an allusion to horny fairies, which is, of course, her, well, her Court of Thorns and Roses books, which we did previously discuss with Meredith. And they're so horny. And when this book was announced, I was like, this is perfect. Sarah J. Mass is such a horny writer. Catwoman is such a canonically horny character, like match made in heaven. And then I do just feel like a DC must have like, they spayed Catwoman, and they're like, <laughs> "Wow, that that says it." I mean, they they give her so much to do that she she doesn't have time for she doesn't have time for horny. And I just have to wonder, like, I always wonder with this type of like IP writing, right, where they take a very popular YA author and put them on DC Comics or Marvel brands, if they're attempting to bring over those horny fairy readers who are going to be like, wait, where's, where's all the, where's all the dry humping? <laughs> right. Right. And it's so, so this book came out in 2018, I think. And I was so excited. I read it as soon as it came out. And then I was disappointed uh, partly, partly because it's not that horny and partly because this DC icon series had been, crushing it up to that point like the like Leah Bardugo wrote a Wonder Woman book that was top tier 
Uh, Marie Lu wrote a Batman book that was great. And I was like, oh, okay, these books are killing it. This is great. I can't wait for this one. And then this was the worst one. Well, I mean, I wait. I waited to read it, uh, partly because you told me it wasn't horny enough. And so then I was like, well, what time do I have for something that isn't horny? Mm-hmm. And I think because I went in with lower expectations, I was, I, I, enjoy, I kind of enjoyed myself. I, I mean, honestly, same. Like now it's been four years since I read it the first time. And I was, you know, I went to reread it for the podcast. And I was like, oh, why didn't I like this? Like, this is pretty fun. And I think... It's kind of also like the reverse of when we read The Kissing Booth right after Nora Roberts. And I was like, this is so bad compared to Nora Roberts. This is so good compared to The Kissing Booth. So I think, too, that just like the act of reading something, which which is similar to both The Kissing Book and The Nora Roberts Effect, The Kissing Booth, rather, and The Nora Roberts Effect, is that when we sit down intentionally to read a book for this show and it's not like a Nora book or it's not like a we're taking a break and reading a book we know is actually good sort of deal, like part of my body prepares for that book mm-hmm. <laughs> in such a way that I'm like, okay, this is going to be a slog and I'm ready for it. And if it's not a slog, I'm like, oh, like this was so much better than I expected. If I had like just picked it up off the shelf, would I have felt that way? Hard to say. Um, but I was, especially the kissing booth was just quite a slog. So like gearing this up on my phone, like I put it off. I should have started it like right after I finished the kissing booth so I could do a little at a time. But I put it off until like Wednesday of the week where we're recording on a Saturday. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, but it was it was fine. I mean, I think the timing of when we're reading it too is also sort of fun in that we're we're dealing with it now, right? As the Batman comes out, like is out, and like and Catwoman is like back in my brain, and I have to say, like, okay, this is like a big, this is like a big time for me because I'm a huge Twilight person and I'm a huge Batman person. Yes, and so for many years now, it's like this Robert Pattinson Batman movie has been like, you know, when is it happening? When do I get to see it? And now I have seen it, and. And of course, like one of my favorite parts of it was Catwoman. And, you know, some of the characters featured in that film, I don't know if the two of you have seen it, are in this book, obviously in very different ways. But I sort of went through this book, despite the um, physical description of Selena, just imagining Zoe Kravitz, because why wouldn't you? If you have, like, I just, I'm going to delete, I'm going to fully reject her her proposal for what Selena Kyle looks like, and she's Zoe Kravitz at the end. And then that makes it a lot more fun to think about. I love that. Yes. No, I, the timing did not quite work out and I'm, so I'm going to see the Batman tomorrow, which I'm, I'm very looking forward to, but yeah, I haven't had it in my head yet. Okay. Um, I think, I think you'll have that much more fun watching it and knowing that this is in your brain. And also you can play the game that I played, even though I love all of these things that a movie need not be three hours. So what would you cut? (laughs) <laughs> mm, yeah that's a game i like to play in a three-hour movie and hilariously some of what i would cut is in the opening scenes so that's just i'll just drop that with you okay i will keep that i'll keep that in mind okay. but yeah mostly we're not here to talk about the batman we're here to talk about the Catwoman and the batwing which i thought was fake <laughs> no I, I did go into it thinking because I know I know very little about Batman. I mean, I guess compared to like people in the universe, I know more. But <laughs> compared to the people currently on this podcast <laughs> and probably the sort of nerds who listen to this, 
I know comparatively little about Batman. I have a like freakish encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of stuff about X-Men, but I was much more of a Marvel girl growing up and even now, and I never actually read Batman comics. I read Batwoman comics, and I've read some um, of the Harley Quinn comics. Mm -hmm. And a couple other DC properties, but I've never like dug down into like the DC mythos. Like, aside from watching Batman the Animated Series as a kid Clutched. and Birds of Prey and the Harlequin series as an adult. Yeah. By the way, Batwing is on the Batwoman CW show. Oh, oh, and Legends of Tomorrow. I keep forgetting that they're DC because they're so fucking weird. <laughs> and yet. And yet Sarah Lance bona fide League of Assassins assassin. Yes, which was like the when that came in, I was like, oh, I know this. This must be how <laughs> people who like read these tie-in novels after having been like enmeshed in this world via comics and other media for so long must feel. When um I can't remember if it's Tala or Nissa who shows up first, and I was like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the rewards I got for, and I have been fully trained in my Batman lore by young adult author Sarah Farazan with who, and I watched Batman the animated series when I was a kid, but then I rewatched it with her. And then, you know, I had the only comics I ever read growing up were Catwoman. And that was a brief phase of being in love with, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and wanting to know everything. But um, when you get to like the Lazarus pit and which we'll get to, like, I was like, I know, I know her. I know that. <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so so Kate and I were talking last night and she said something about like, oh, that like fake uh, Nightwing character. And I was like, oh, no, Batwing is real. And then I was like, what? Well, I mean, he's fictional, but, <laughs> but he's, he's a real <laughs> fictional boy. We're like, he lives in Boston. I know him. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to my CrossFit gym, by the way. I started doing CrossFit. <laughs> yeah. I just like I assumed I was like ah I see they they since they kind of aged Catwoman to this particular level they need to put like a Batman facsimile there for her to romance with so they made up this guy who's Lucius Fox's son and Renato's like no he's a he's a real guy who actually exists in the comics yeah because Batwing Batwing just sounds so much like Nightwing and then she was explaining or he was yeah the the Luke night batwing was explaining his costume and it's like you know the electric blue logo and i'm like that is also nightwing actually <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah i guess he's real yeah i when i was trying to describe batwing being real but also fictional i was i was to cross into marvel i was having a real like thor being like all words are made up moment <laughs> <laughs> All the Batmans are made up, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, but oh, some are, right. And it does also have like, when I first read Batwing, I was like, wait, isn't this the name of one of his vehicles? Like I had to, I, that <laughs> at part, I was like, wait a minute, is that, isn't that what they call his like glider? And I was like, no, 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 it's a person. It's a person. Yeah. So I, because as a librarian, I order a lot of comics for the library and I'm also always, especially trying to get like diverse comics. And so I think we've gone like this far into the podcast without saying that he's black. And so when I, you know, I, I saw like, that was the first I heard of him, I think was, I was maybe specifically looking for like diverse superhero comics and it was like Batwing and I was like, okay. And so he's the, Luke Fox is the second Batwing and the first one was, 
Um, I think he lived in the Congo and he his like comic was Batwing colon the Batman of Africa. And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know about this. Right. <laughs> One Batman for all of Africa seems like not a fair deal. Yeah, it's a big territory for him to cover. And I guess maybe that's why he's not doing it anymore. And now Luke Fox is just like another Gotham one. I feel like like you, you need super you need a Justice League for every, you know, I, it seems right for one person and for that person to be Batman. It's like not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, ha- I haven't actually read those other Batman of Africa comics. Like maybe they're great. I just the title gave me pause. But again, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about comics at all. We are talking about Catwoman Soul Stealer. So So we should we should get to it. So this this was another weird thing that happened, which Renata said happens in a lot of the DC icons books, but we start out with Teen Selena. And she is a teen. She's like 17. She's about to turn 18. And she is in a fight club with this gang, the Leopards, who do like fights that are bet on and also yeah, like, like cage crime. fights for a public audience yes and, and here's something right away that i got twisted up in the details of if you win one of these fights you get a leopard spot tattoo to like represent that you've won a fight uh, this is classic sarah jms being extremely horny for tattoos however uh, selena has 27 leopard spots which is the most but to me I mean, certainly I've never been in 27 fights, but if you are in a fight club girl gang, 27 doesn't seem like so many, right? No, it doesn't. Like, it, it, you're, now that you're saying it, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that, like, because she does like two in a row real fast in the beginning. So I'm like, but maybe usually they're more spaced out so she can heal herself. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe only get a spot for like a big fight. Because it does also seem like she's been doing this for like a couple of years it's at this two point. two years, yeah. So, so that's... You, I can't do that math. Somebody's going to have to divide. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's like 13 and a half spots per year. And Not, if you're getting two of them in one night... It doesn't yeah, add up. It does. It's, it's a weird... Yeah, it's a weird thing. But yeah, so she's in this fight club. And she's doing it because her mother is uh, has substance use issues and has not been in their lives for quite a while. And she is living instead with her younger sister, Maggie, who has cystic fibrosis and is very, very ill. So she needs to make money doing this to support Maggie and buy her medications and get her good health care. And there's a lot in here, like my ongoing issue with the way Sarah J. Mass writes. And to be clear, I am a fan and I will read everything she writes. However, I don't believe that she exists as a human woman on Earth. Like I truly, whenever she tries to write things, like it doesn't feel quite right. Like it feels like this has been explained to her maybe in translation. And she's like, yes, I see. And so like there's multiple scenes of Selena complaining about the co-pays for Maggie's appointments. And she's just not using the word co-pay quite right. Like, yeah, like, like like any bill to her is a copay. And I'm like, that has a specific meaning. No, yeah, I I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, you are correct in that sometimes like the world, maybe I think she's been so prolific with horny fairy books that I kind of imagine her sitting at her desk writing books and anyone else in her life being like, I will deal with the outside world. So maybe she doesn't truly understand like, 
how health insurance works, but you are correct. It is a little bit like the, the Terminator. Has been right yeah. <laughs> and, the, and there's a part where she like painstakingly describes like her EBT snap benefits in a way that just truly felt like she'd gotten it off of Wikipedia for snap benefits. But again, like it was like the Spanish Wikipedia page and she translated it. Like it was just weird. Yeah. She takes Maggie to the doctor and they, after she well first of all she doesn't pay anything when they first go in but then when they're leaving the woman's like yeah it's gonna be five hundred dollars and she's like that copay's higher than last time and it's like that's not the copay though that's yeah. not the copay is the bit that you pay up front yeah her copay was zero dollars <laughs> like and then you get i don't know very much about insurance despite working in the field but <laughs> Yeah, it was just messy. And then Maggie having cystic fibrosis. Before we started recording, Meredith was like, I wish she'd just given her a fake disease. I'm like, that's right. She should have. Yeah, it it really, you know, I I don't know that I would have felt like this if it had been like not a YA book. But I think that, and I obviously you put real, you know, illnesses in, in books, but like there's something about reality entering this kind of universe in like a way where I'm just like, there are so many. I don't know. I just, it's such a bleak um, diagnosis for this character, the the level to which she is having this illness. And, and I, it like kind of took me out of like where I got actually legitimately stressed and maybe that says more about me, but I'm like, I wish they had just given her like the, the Gotham disease, whatever it is. Chemical chemical plant side effects of living near the Gotham chemical plant as opposed to, this like real life thing that I'm sure would scare a young person. And, um, and that will come up for me again later is something that bumped for me. But, but on the other hand, like talking about setting up the stakes pretty high, really, you know, having the sister you've got to support and no money. It's, you know, in that sense, it, it, it works. Yeah. And again, especially compared to Kissing Booth, where no one had any stakes or motivations whatsoever. I was like, okay, got it. Selena's <laughs> got to be in a girl gang because of her <laughs> sister. Also, here's a quote I pulled. Selena had Googled it once, life, expe- life expectancy for severe cystic fibrosis. She'd closed the web browser and vomited into the library's toilet for 30 minutes afterward. Which, like, first of all, that's so long <laughs> to puke. <laughs> Second of all, I Googled it myself after that, and it, and I got 44 years, which is young and, like, extremely sad. But it it's not like it's... And again, I, I don't know a ton about this disease. I don't I don't know anyone who has it, I don't think. But to me, to be a teenager and to go and throw up because your sister's going to die in, like, 30 years or something, like, it's, to me, like, teens would be like, well, that's a pretty long time, and, like, maybe there'll be more medicine or something between then. You know, it's not like, oh, the life expectancy is, is eight years old and she's already outlived it. No, for right. sure. I mean, I think they, they – and I do tangentially know – people with this like people through people but I feel like you're right like at that point you're like well there's 30 years for medicine to advance but also I I feel like this is and this is where it gets irresponsible a little bit I think where it's like this is her version of a diagnosis of this illness that doesn't even perhaps match a lot of people's realities where it's like it becomes a heightened level of scary. And of course it's scary to have to, to have this diagnosis, but it just felt like make it fictional. And then you don't have any of these problems, you know? Yeah. 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 So Maggie, her younger sister has cystic fibrosis. She loves musical theater. 
her favorite musical is Carousel, and Selena comes home from like a bad fight, and uh, well, she comes home from bad fight, and Maggie like tries to help take care of her, and then she takes Maggie. I just want to interject and clarify for the listener because I was confused briefly. You were saying bad fight with a with a D and not bat fight with a T. Yes, bad (laughs) fight with a D. A a a fight where she got beat up a lot. And she still won, but she did at Fight Club get the shit beat out of her pretty bad with a D Um, (laughs) and takes Maggie to the doctor the next day and comes home and finds out like she had gotten like a good haul from this fight. But like now she has all these extra tests that she has to pay for for Maggie and they are watching Carousel together and thinking about like how shitty their lives are when some police and a social worker burst in and they find out that selena's mom has gotten arrested and um the social workers want to put selena and maggie in a group home since now they know that you know they've been living on their own and they figure out that selena has is in leopard fight club and steal all the money the the corrupt cops steal all the money that she had made from it um and when maggie freaks out and tries to run away one of the cops grabs her and selena loses it and beats the shit out of everyone in the apartment except maggie uh until she gets knocked out and wakes up in the uh police precinct handcuffed to a table in an interrogation room yes and normally like a big fictional pet peeve of mine is how fictional characters like hate foster care and like every fictional teen would rather like run away than be in foster care and it's like well like a lot of foster parents are just like trying their best but i do think in gotham city that's probably a justified reaction yes and she does like her issue is this once she hears the location is like this is particularly not good and i think a lot of kids in one place right where she seems into the idea of just find her two nice just find her nice people yes um so she after she wakes up at this table she sees that there is a fancy looking beautiful woman entering the interrogation room with her with a very thick file and she is not rattled by any of the things that selena tries to say to rattle her and she is in fact talia ghoul and she is there to recruit selena for the league of assassins and in exchange, uh, she'll wipe Selena's criminal record and put Maggie. Well, she'll wipe Selena's cr- criminal record and she won't have to go to jail. And Selena says, I don't care about that. I want to make sure that my sister Maggie goes into a good foster home in like a nice suburb with good loving parents who are going to take care of her and have enough money to do all of her medical stuff. And Talia's like, okay, I guess that sounds fucking fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, side note, by the way. Maggie gets like two gay men as a as foster parents, which I feel like this book weirdly has more queer representation than the thousands of porny fairy pages. Absolutely, I, I want to get to that later when we get a little closer to the Ivy stuff. But yeah, yes. yeah, it is like yes, you were totally right. Like people are just allowed to be gay, whereas in her fairy land where anything can can go, <laughs> there is shame. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, So when we next see Selena, it is uh, two years later, and she is returning to Gotham on a private jet under the name Holly Vanderhees. 
a socialite who has been living in Europe for several years and due to some like leaked press releases that she sent out, all of these reporters are there to like take photos of her and you know, there's all these this talk of the town of this like rich girl in her 20s is coming back to Gotham and she's rich and famous and other rich people will like her and it is a obviously a a persona that Selena has invented after her time training with the League of Assassins and this was like Meredith said when League of Assassins came up and Talia Ghul came up I was like I I do know her <laughs> from my uh voracious watching of Legends of Tomorrow in which uh Sarah Lance who is the captain of the Wave Rider was briefly when she was on Arrow in the gritty dark CW corner of the CW Arrowverse. Yeah. <laughs> was a trained League of Assassins assassin who had a dark, terrible backstory. And then she went on Legends of Tomorrow and, you know, occasionally gets turned into a puppet or gets super secret powers or gets spliced with alien DNA and just has a rocking good time. Fine. Yeah, Sarah Lance also is is Nissa Algul's ex. Yes. Which um I do think she's been upgraded. I should say that like one of my favorite episodes of Batman the Animated Series and weirdest is Talia al Ghul's father, Ra's al Ghul, who like <clears throat> has this sort of fountain of youth Lazarus pit. Um, note to, to put a little bookmark on that, put a little pin in that, that there is an episode where Batman and Talia sort of, you know, have a possible romance. And I think in the comics, they might even have, they have a kid together, I think, but um you learn that Talia has actually been her father the whole time that he was sort of like turned him morphed himself into her body, which is like, and then you think back and you're like, he was, he was walking around pretending to be his daughter and kind of like getting it on with Batman. And like, <laughs> where is the fan fiction? <laughs> but like, there are few like sexually confused episodes of Batman, the animated series that I adore, and that is one of them. But that's my that's my Talia, my peak Talia moment is when it's not even Talia, it's her dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, there are. I, I thought it was an interesting choice to like just fully skip over a League of Assassins training, but we do get some flashbacks to it later. Yes, for now, um, she's back in Gotham, and and Kate and Kate. It's everyone's favorite season. It's not spring. It's not summer. It's gala season. Oh yeah. <laughs> Party night, get your ball gowns out. <laughs> um, and we also at this point meet Meet real person Luke Fox. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real boy and he, and he has PTSD. <laughs> He he's the son of Lucius Fox, the CEO of Wayne Industries. And I and that is also why I kind of thought he was fake is because I was like, oh, I see. Like they were like, OK, well, we'll we'll tie. We'll give a fake bat a new fake Batman. <laughs> we'll tie into the Batman lore by making him Lucius Fox's son. So it makes sense that he's there. <laughs> and it turns out that some Batman writer had made that his real fake backstory for I'm sure the same reason. <laughs> hey, um, anyway, he is uh, neighbors with Holly because she's moving into this new fancy apartment and it's next door to Luke's fancy apartment. Yes. And he, uh, as Renata alluded to, he has PTSD because he was in the Marines and had like bad things happen there, as one does, and now is being like 
Bat Jr. Batwing while Bruce is off doing things, a special mission off screen for the entire book. I truly love her complete commitment to like not specifying at all. It's like it, like Batman was abducted on the way back to his home planet. Like he's just gone and <laughs> he's like on a mission. He's like doing a thing. He's like yeah. doing a thing and we never get to know what it is. But here's where I want to give her one piece of credit, which is or or DC, whoever, whatever came up with this idea is like, you know, they give this character, you know, all this trauma from the military and they from from my memory right like they sort of bruce takes him under his no pun intended wing to mm-hmm. to sort of train and work out some of that trauma and they sort of train together and he becomes like a, an assistant to robin of sorts but it was actually like really delightful to read about batman bringing someone in who isn't a child person like so many robins are like oh like they get younger and younger they're it's like oh they're like orphaned and well, actually, wouldn't it be cool if you lived with me and fought crime with me, 14-year-old? Like, it's so weird that the Robin, <laughs> you know, they he just wants to groom them to do really dangerous things. And in this case, you have this, like, professionally trained military person who's, like, using this as some kind of therapy and their peers in a lot of ways. And that, to me, was, like, kind of refreshing. A character who could, like, not be manipulated into this work, but be ready for it. And what's interesting, too, is that I'm not totally sure what the origin of this character in the comics is. I think he's actually a cop in the comics, which again, upgrade, I guess. Yeah. Not, not being a cop. Um, But in this, it seemed like his, his dad, Lucius knows Bruce's Batman and was like, Hey, Batman, will you like do me a solid and like help out my kid? And so Lucius knows that Luke is Batwing. So he doesn't have this like full secret identity. But then I'm giving minus points because his mom doesn't know. Because I guess it's like we got to protect the mom because, and like she can't be trusted with the Batwing knowledge. But at least like his dad knows, and he has a good relationship with his parents, which is also always nice to see in a superhero comic. Like he respects his parents; they get along really well. He loves them. He enjoys spending time with them. Like, yeah, he they're nice people. They're alive, nice people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Luke Fox is a real boy and a good boy. Yes. T- to a certain extent, which we'll get into as we go. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're neighbors. They meet and Holly and like Selena's doing her full Holly, like rich bitch routine. And because Luke is a nice boy, he's like, oh, she's a bitch and I don't like her. Like, cause she's like, oh, I just got bored of Europe, like blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, she's spoiled. And Luke has this kind of like, because he has this sort of like clunky inner monologue courtesy of Sarah J Mass, where he is like, I'm black and I know about racism. And like, I, I see that Holly has white privilege basically. And it is clunky, but it's like, well, an, an attempt was made. Yeah. And it does, it does come up several times throughout the book, which I'll give, I'll give Sarah J Mass props for that. Like several times it comes up that, Luke is thinking specifically about how his race will impact certain things that will happen to him or around him in various situations, which, okay. By the way, if you completely, as I have done, delete her descriptions of Selena and just make it Zoe Kravitz, it makes some of these things a little confusing, but I... (laughs) 
continued my line of thinking and was like, that's just who it is. So the, <laughs> but I still appreciate, I appreciated her attempts to, to at least acknowledge, you know, what he might be thinking, but still Zoe Kravitz, the end. <laughs> <laughs> She's just so spoiled because of her dad, Lenny. Because <laughs> her dad is a musician and her mom is like forever hot and amazing. <laughs> And I did notice, too, that she did, at least in, like, the first half of the book, anytime she introduced a new character, did make a point of pointing out the color of their skin. Yes. Yeah. Equal opportunity for, like, white folks and people of color, which was which was good. Especially because in Gotham, you do have white people who are truly, like, white, like Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> They're, like, literally painted their face with, like, powder. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Selena and Holly and Luke meet they both have poor opinions of the other and think they're just like a rich person that night selena in her fancy cat suit that she modified from the suit she was given at league of assassins goes into the gotham museum and steals a cat statue and then shoots out the bat signal so uh luke gets a call in the middle of the night from alfred because batman is away doing batman things off screen and Commissioner Gordon wants to meet with one of the bats. So he goes out there to meet with Commissioner Gordon about the bat signal being shot out. Yeah, it's just sort of like heads up. Like there's a new operator in town. Yeah. Crimes. Um, and, and again, here, Luke sees some cops being racist to like a young black kid while he's there as Batwing at the police station. And it's like, okay, like Sarah J. Mass at least like read an article yes. and, and applied it. <laughs> yes. Um, he gets so he gets the bullet that was used to shoot out the bat signal and he does some analysis and it's and comes up with nothing. Yeah. Um, so a bunch of stuff has been stolen from rich people at parties. Mm -hmm. And so Luke sets up at one of the many Gotham galas in gala season. He sets up a trap because he's like, oh, let's get this painting that the Fox Emily owns and like put it on special display at a gala. And that'll be something good to steal. Yes. And at the the museum where where the art is hanging, Selena is there as Holly. Luke is there as Luke. We meet his two best friends who, like, have no... No purpose. No purpose. They don't come into the plot. They're in, like, three scenes. They reminded me of the friends who have more purpose, but in um, Devil Wears Prada, where she just shows up to dinner and it's like, here, I got you a purse. And they're like, we have our own lives. And then she leaves them again. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very, it's very similar. Like they're there and he talks about like how great they've been and how like helpful they were with his PTSD and how like of all the rich kids in town, like they're like real and down to earth. And also they're secretly in love with each other. And then they, they pay no there's no other use for them in the plot at all. They have no purpose. They're just there to show that Luke has a life. <laughs> it, it also, here's what I feel like Sarah J as an author, like I think she excels at, at horniness and like tortured backstoriness. And I think she's not funny and she's not good at writing jokes, but I think she wants to be. And I, I think some of the scenes with Mark and Elise were sort of meant to be comic relief where it's like, oh man, like remember in school when you had to write a poem, but it's like, it's not funny. <laughs> it's just, it's just... I also wondered like, are, is their whole purpose 
just to remind us that this isn't Batman. This is not Bruce Wayne. This guy is like the opposite of Bruce Wayne. And that's why the lack of humanness is sort of a bummer because like, there's like, Batman is horny and Catwoman is definitely horny, but Batman is like super duper repressed in all of his forms because he's really got a mission of whatever his vengeance is or whatever his issues are, which like gets in the way of what could be a much more horny person. So you're basically saying, remember, this isn't Batman. This is a totally different guy. This guy has parents. He's like, he's got mental health issues, but he's actually like dealing with them. He's understanding them. Like he's, and now he's got friends, he's not just Alfred, right? And it's like, well, he should be more horny then. He has the as horny as he wants to be. And yet we don't we don't quite get all the way there. But I just thought maybe the friends were like, look how not Bruce Wayne he is. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a function. And also, like, Mark and Elise have, like, a flirty thing. And Luke is sort of, like, their awkward third. Or he's like, oh, they're going to get together. And I'll... And so that leaves him free to fuck Catwoman, yeah. but he doesn't anyway. <laughs> then we cut away from Luke having having special time with his two best friends who are hilarious people. And Selena is like uh, stealing the painting and she's like excellent at stealing. But Poison Ivy is there and uh, Poison Ivy is sort of like ahead of her on the theft but Selena's like um I'm the one who disabled all the alarms and like this is my crime and they sort of bicker about it and then they negotiate a 25% 75 split of the profits from the painting but then Batwing shows up and Ivy's like never mind you can have it I'm out of here and she calls Selena Catwoman for the first time which does seem like a pretty obvious thing to call someone who is wearing cat ears. But that's that's the origin stories for being like, bye, Catwoman. And Batwing and Catwoman have a fight and Catwoman wins <laughs> and has like photos set up to record their whole fight thing. And she finds like some really good pictures of her like beating the crap out of him and winning the fight and sends them to all of the papers. So uh, when Luke sees like all of the papers have this photo of like Catwoman being like, fuck off Batman. I'm the best. And he's like, fuck Bruce is going to be so mad. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is a funny concept anyway. Yes. And then Selena and Ivy meet again. And Ivy's like, Hey, we should, we should like team up. And Selena's like, well, you bailed on me last time. And Ivy's like, yeah, well, I didn't realize you could beat Batwing and and that was cool. So like let's, you know, let's let's have an alliance. And then Selena says, um, well, I'm only interested if you can get Harley Quinn on board. And Ivy says she'll think about it, basically. Is, is this the point where Ivy's like, I like to kiss girls? I think it's slightly after okay, they have. I did feel like she's like, I just want to make it known. <laughs> I just want to introduce into the canon. <laughs> and that is where I had the first moment of, oh, why isn't this allowed in court of horny and horny? Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Cause like later, like Selena and Ivy, I really like their friendship in this. Yeah. And it is clear in this interaction that like Selena. I Ivy's like Harley I'll never go for it and Selena's like I have like something that I can get her to go for it with and when 
Ivy's like, what? Selena says, I can get the Joker out of prison. And it's very oh, yeah. clear from like the narrative that Selena knows that like Ivy is very upset at the idea of the Joker being out of prison and of, as using that as a carrot on a stick for Harley. And it, it is it is clear to the reader too if you like have knowledge about the Harley Ivy relationship like it is all, incredibly clear on the page that this is like Ivy reacting to that mm-hmm. um so it's set up like right from the first time Harley comes up in conversation yeah. but she does you know a couple of days go by and uh they exchange burner phone numbers and then selena is like okay well like i'm going to the place where ivy insists she and harley are gonna be able to meet up with me only for a league of assassin assassin yeah strike <laughs> to show up to fight selena uh and selena realizes that the league uh is starting to send people after her and that like shit's about to go down yeah, I think this maybe is the first time it's introduced that, like, oh, the League is mad because of what you stole, Selena. Yeah. But we don't know yet what it was, just that she stole something. Yes. Um, but Harley and Ivy do show up, and Harley kills Shrike. Mm-hmm. Which, and- which is impressive, because we've had so much buildup of, like, oh, the League assassins are, like, so scary and powerful. And then, like, for Harley to kill one is, like, a pretty big deal. Yes. Uh, so they agree to this like team up. Harley agrees to it. Ivy's like not like thrilled by it, but willing, willing, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Batwing shows up. Well, actually, he he missed the whole League Assassin thing, but like they're out, they're all out on the town, and so he sees Selena as Catwoman like hanging out on a bridge, and he goes to talk to her. And she warns him, like, you need to protect Gotham because, you know, people worse than me are coming and you should protect the city. And he's kind of confused by this because he thinks she's a bad guy. And she's like, you know, there's worse people than me. And then meanwhile, nearby Harley explodes a cop car and Luke has like a PTSD panic attack. And Selena like kind of helps him and calms him down and then says that she'll keep his secret and you know that he can't protect Gotham if if like criminals exploit this basically. So she's not gonna tell anyone about that. Yeah. And it is somewhere in here that she has that conversation with Ivy that Meredith was alluding to, where she has seen like ivy in action and ivy's trying to tell her like yeah like i have like poison uh i have like poisons that i can use for things and selena's like well i heard that you don't have poisons but that like you are poisonous yes and ivy kind of admits like yeah like i was gives her whole like tragic backstory about how she was like a scientist and then she Gave. And, and like like a young science prodigy who like yes. you know graduated college early like is is young um and she was working with this scientist who wanted to make plant human hybrids which i guess like i feel like in the dc universe like there really just needs to be like a mad scientist track at university <laughs> like, do you want to do totally upsetting things here's your major come on in <laughs> yeah um and so he tried to use her as a test subject and now she has like plant powers um and 
she talks about having like dropped out of college because she was realizing that like she wanted to live her own life. And this is where, um, you know, she says like, I realized that I had never kissed a girl or gone to a party or done this or done that. And yes, it is a very clunky way of being like, oh, by the way, Ivy's a lesbian. (laughs) And, and like Selena and RV, RV, I don't know who that is. Selena and Ivy. (laughs) They they also like bond a little bit over their like shared tortured backstories, which is a, a clutch Sarah J. Mass moment always. <laughs> so they they are they the three ladies are going around doing a lot of crimes because as when Ivy brings up the team up, she says like there's no all of the bosses in Gotham are men. Like there are no women in charge, and like we could change that. And again, not to harp, this is classic Sarah J. Mass. Like, I truly, she is stuck in this, like, second wave feminism, like, girl boss mode very much, where her concept of feminism is like, oh, you think women can't do violence? Women are great at violence, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag girl boss. (laughs) It's so classic her. Uh, So there's another big gala, and they're uh they they show up there and do some crimes and uh luke is there and he sneaks out to change into his bat suit while selena and harley and ivy are stealing things from rich people and not hurting anyone just really stealing things from rich people so like i don't got that much of a beef with them at this point (laughs) truly yeah these people have insurance Yes. And it's funny because there's a point in the text here where Luke tries to justify, to to unjustify, I guess, what they're doing. Like, he's like, yeah, they might just like in the narrative, like they might just be rich people, but like, they're still really upset by the fact that this happened. And it just. Yeah. I mean, like, look, yes, we've, we've seen Kim Kardashian's videos. It is, it's upsetting even for rich people to be robbed. And I do kind of take that point. However, these, like, at no point do I stop being Team Selena. No, and, like, she definitely, like, grapples with this, like, thing, just not in a nuanced way enough of, like, him sort of considering race privilege and her considering wealth privilege. And, like, he doesn't completely get it. You know what I mean? Like, there is the, the Bruce problem of I've given hundred thousand dollars in a local, you know, whatever, but I'm still beyond wealthy and they're like starving people everywhere. Like he, that is his, you know, mo- he doesn't fully get it. Correct. Yeah. And it's, it's put in there in a, and I can't tell because it's Sarah J. Mass. like, I don't want to give her too much credit, but <laughs> I can't tell if it's put in there to make the reader side more with Selena and be like, ah, like, here's the good guy awkwardly saying, like, I can't believe that these ladies stole this, these people's diamond necklaces. Like, they'll be fine, and they're insured, and they've got more money than God, but they're really upset about it to make you feel, like, more in line with Selena's, like, point of view. Or if it was genuinely put there to be like, no, like, you have to remember Selena and Ivy and Har- Harley are the bad guys. I don't, I don't give her a ton of credit. I, although, I don't know. Like, he doesn't really make a good case. Like, he doesn't say, like, violence is, like, traumatic, even if you're, like, even if it's... But I do, you bring up a good point, which is that in multiple times in this book, I remember her bringing up insurance. Like, she really wants you to know... 
everybody's going to get their money back in this. Yeah. Don't worry, it's insured. It comes up. He wasn't, he was, you know, it was insured. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, there is kind of this thing that'll come up whenever you see like comics bros of any gender talking about like, well, who would win like Batman or Superman or whatever. And it, and it, the kind of like, self-aware meta answer is like well if it's in a batman book then batman would win if it's a superman book superman would win and it's like whoever's kind of book it is is who's most powerful in that moment and so like i mean this book is called catwoman soul stealer which by the way she we can get into the soul stealer of all i don't think anyone actually steals souls in this she legitimately steals like goods and jewelry and art and stuff no souls um, it's a very dramatic title. Anyway, it like it, it's almost strange that we get Luke's POV at all because this is a Catwoman book, and I feel like in the end of the day, like her perspective is correct, and like she's the one in control of the situation. She's the one, you know, if this were a Batwing comic, he might might not have gotten like so easily shown up by Catwoman at like his own party. But it is a Catwoman book first. Yes. Like yeah, so there he chases the. So while there, while there, we we should move on. But first, I do need to explain this fight scene, or not even fight scene, robbery scene, where Harley is just utterly unhinged through this entire robbery, and she has the band start playing "Don't Stop Me Now," and like the band gets really into it, and they're just stealing. <laughs> stealing things from rich people while the band is playing queen and then they melodramatically like selena melodramatically jumps out once batwing shows up jumps out a window into giving double middle fingers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> into luke's porsche which is waiting below with harley and ivy in it already <laughs> Mm-hmm. a vehicle where he left the keys in right like that is i'm pretty sure uh, well i think because of the valet yeah like it was ready to go for them but there is nothing i love more than two middle fingers yes <laughs> i'm doing it right now you can't tell because podcast isn't a visual medium but as i was describing that i was flipping off my ceiling enjoy yeah it's very um my immortal of them <laughs> <laughs> The fan fiction, not the song. <laughs> if, if you know, you know. And if you don't know, I cannot explain it to you right now. We have a lot to get through. Yeah. Uh, so, th- yeah, there's there's a lot. There's, like, back and forth between these kind of, like, heists and then, um, like, some Luke POV. Oh, this, I guess we haven't finished this. Like, Luke goes after them with his wings. I think it's maybe the first time we actually see him flying. But Ivy um, ruins his wings with a, a vines. And so they, like, soundly defeat Batwing and go off to have, like, a girl party. Yeah. So Luke and Holly, quote-unquote Holly, hang out more and he realizes she's more than just, like, a rich socialite and that she's actually, like, really smart and kind of cool. Selena ends up hanging out with, like, Harley and Ivy as, like, friends. And it's like, oh, this is actually kind of nice. Some people in the underworld who work for, like, falcons as the falcon boss like try to intimidate them and harley stops them and falcon is who selena worked for when she was in the leopards so yeah, she's like, like the leopards were like a subsidiary of falcon incorporated yeah 
but and it is a clutch moment because at first it seems like Harley is giving up and Harley's like, yeah, like take the money, like give it to Falcone. But then it's a trick and Harley like helps them get away and they like trap the Falcone guys in a safe or something or like not a, like a vault. Um, and so Selena's like, oh, I can trust Harley. Cool. They do more hangs at one point. Selena and Ivy talk and Ivy like kind of tells her like, yeah, like I'm super into Harley, but like. Harley doesn't think about things in those terms like she's just like kind of waiting for the Joker and like doesn't want to put like a label on what we have and it's really upsetting to me but I love her so much that I just kind of let it happen mm-hmm. I mean and it is clear that like they are together Harley and Ivy like at the yeah. end of their little shenanigans they'll be like oh like your place or mine and like they're going home together like they're yes. they're just not you know girlfriend and girlfriend the way heart or the way ivy would like it to be yes um so there's a lot of selena breaks some of joker's henchmen out of jail to kind of help deal with the falcone stuff luke sets another trap by having another big party at his house where like a fancy necklace of his mom's is on display and he it's a trap for Catwoman and of course like she comes to try to steal it while Luke as Batwing is like in hiding but before he can confront her another assassin from the league arrives and Selena like starts fighting her and wins yeah and wins and like um Luke as Batwing sees this and is like oh shit like Selena is so good at fighting like he's even more impressed than he was before and it's a scene where this assassin, um, Tigris, like, she has her defeated. Like, she's broken her spine in the fight, but she's still alive. And Luke is like, holy shit, like, let's help her. But then Tigris, like, poisons herself. And But before she does, she gives this dramatic, like, you're a dead woman walking and, like, more people are coming because of what you stole. And again, like, we don't, we still don't know what Selena stole, aside from all the other things that she stole. Luke as Batwing helps Selena as Catwoman, like, get the body off the property and is going to take her in. But then Harley and Ivy show up and they get away with the fake necklace. Oh, and and also sort of importantly, like, Selena speaks, like, the Arabic prayer that the League assassins use, I guess, over Tigris's body. And she gives Luke her little, like, she lets Luke know that, like, I was in the League of Assassins, but I left. And she reiterates to him, like, this is bad and like you need to protect Gotham from the league because they're like really bad and I'm not that bad bye the we as Ivy and Selena like bond more we start to learn about Gotham City's ley lines Uh (laughs) which does seem to kind of come out of nowhere um but is integral to the part plot it just doesn't show up until three quarters of the way through the book And Ivy shows Selena, like, where the ley lines are outside of Gotham. And Selena says, like, oh, like, have you ever heard the rumors that, like, there are, like, magical pools on ley lines that can help you, like, make you immortal or make you come back from the dead? Ivy's like, oh, well, that's just a story. Mm -hmm. And Selena says it in such a way that it's like, ah, yes, we know that this is not a story, even if we haven't watched Legends of Tomorrow. (laughs) I will tell you that at this point, I was so um, immersed in these Luke, Selena, other identity moments and the switch off to them being in, in their, you know, superhero personas. Because when she writes them on their little dates, when, you know, Luke doesn't know he's sitting there with Catwoman, it becomes an entirely different book that I also enjoy that's like very 
modern romance novel of like enemies to lovers and oh mm-hmm. but she's not a snob she's really good at jeopardy and we're gonna like <laughs> pizza and maybe she's down to earth and like so like when they're like yeah yeah ley lines i was like not at what not at one moment did the oh wait a minute i should be understanding what is to come like it didn't hit me didn't hit me. <laughs> it, just, it hit me at the last possible moment what selena might be up to so i'm so curious when you sort of knew what was happening because I was like, Oh wow. There were, <laughs> there were hints at this. And I was like, so worried about when they might kiss that I like. Missed it. <laughs> it was literally, it was literally when like she mentions for the first time, like I, it was not like at the beginning of the book where I was like, ah, I know where this is going. Like maybe if I, if I was more immersed in like the Batman mythos, it would have, but it wasn't until she was, you know, with Ivy looking at the ley lines outside of Gotham and says like, Oh, like, well, have you heard the, you know, stories that these Lazarus pits exist that I was like, oh, I get it. She's making a Lazarus pit for her sister. Well, I'm embarrassed to say that like, even then I didn't get it. And when Talia is first brought up in this book, I was like, oh, Talia from the Lazarus pit. (laughs) 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 That's how steeped in it I am. And I went so far over my head. Anyway, so I am that reader. (laughs) I I truly don't think that until... Like, aside from, like, yes, the League is associated with the Lazarus Pits, and that's, like, their thing, but the League is also associated with assassins, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like up until this conversation with Ivy where she mentions it, I don't, I really don't think there were any other explicit hints that a Lazarus Pit specifically would be involved other than just, like, the existence of the League. Yeah. Because what I thought earlier, I mean, Ivy mentions that she's like experimenting with medicines and she has this like very um accelerated healing salve that she uses on herself after a, a fight and so i was like oh maybe ivy will be the one to heal maggie like i knew that everything selena was doing was to heal maggie but i thought maybe it would be like ivy's plant medicine up up until they mentioned lazarus pits yeah spoiler it's it's a lazarus pit <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah more and things are just escalating and harley like really wants like harley kind of snaps and is like we have to get joker out of prison now he is like he's getting word that like we're getting his um his henches out and like he wants to be out and we got to do this now and she reveals that some of joker's henchmen are threatening harley's mom who in the world of this book, Harley has a good relationship with her mom and she, she's mad about it. It seems that that perhaps they've been s- sold out because Selena's like, okay, well, if we're going to get Joker out, we need to like sell some of our treasures so I can get money to like bribe our way into Arkham. And like while they're going to their warehouse to get stuff to sell it, the SWAT team comes and they take Selena to Arkham and unmask her publicly on tv and so we see luke watching on tv as like catwoman is unmasking he's like oh god it's my neighbor and he like sneaks into her apartment and like finds her whole little catwoman lair and she left him a note saying luke protect this city because she had figured out that he's batwing and like figured out that he would figure out da 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 um and then so we we have selena in arkham and she's like we have like a little monologue where she's like in solitary confinement and just being like well the league is gonna send assassins now like now it's really all over and here in her internal monologue is we have this reveal that what she stole from the league of assassins was the formula to 
make a Lazarus pit. And she stole it because when she learned about it, she wanted the league to use it on Maggie. And they were like, no, we can't have personal attachments, like people who aren't in the league and like, blah, blah, blah. We can't do that. So she stole the formula for it and erased it from the league's computers and killed the scientists who made it, which she only killed them because that was like her orders from Talia in the first place because they didn't want anyone else to be able to have it. So Okay. Anyway, so she has it. That's what she has brought to town. That's why everyone's coming for her. And she's made a deal to sell it to the Joker, which got all of his gang in um, in alliance with her to fight all the assassins from the League. And then we get this, like, crazy zoom out, which I love. Like, the, like, the best moment of any kind of, like, heist movie where you, like, go back and you're like, oh this was the plan all along like her getting arrested that was part of it because she needed to get into arkham and she needed to be unmasked because then the league would do this and like she needed to get ivy's attention so she did like a specific thing at the gala to get ivy's attention because she knew that ivy could get harley and she knew that harley would get the joker and like she knew all of it and like that slaps it does. And I got to say, like, it it really, like, it's so, it's not even heavy handed. It's not even like the beginning where she's like, I've returned with a plan. Like, no, it was like a surprise to me. And it all worked where I was like, oh, I don't even know. I didn't question what she was doing here and wh- why she returned and whether she was like, it just all worked for me. I'm so totally. shocked. I'm so totally. Shocked. Yeah, totally. No, me too. Like I I was expecting the whole time that like obviously like she was back in town like to do some to help Maggie in some way. But when like in that moment when it does that that big zoom out and it reveals like how every single thing she did was done purposely, like every time she like lost a fight or did whatever was all done on purpose to end up in this moment, it was very like, oh wow. <laughs> It made me wonder, like, this was so tight, right? This this sort of plotting that, like, I love a 9,000-page horny fairy books. But sometimes when I get to, like, the end of a horny fairy book, I'm like, wait, what happened? Like, I remember the horny. Yes. I remember there was a plot, but I don't really remember it. But I wonder that, like, with, like, a DC intellectual property editor, if they're like, no, this will not be 2,000 pages. We must edit. Like, I wondered what a horny fairy book would read, like, plotting-wise, if it were like down to its, you know, core. And I, I don't know that I want that, but it did make me wonder. No, but you know what it would be like, Meredith, is it'd be like her first book, Throne of Glass. Because mm-hmm. I've I've been saying for years that I get sort of tricked into reading Sarah J. Mass because truly the horny fairies books are like not my usual style of book but I read Throne of Glass and I liked it so much that I had to keep reading and that first book it's so tight it is sort of similar to this in a like you know she has to like sneak into the palace and go undercover and like do the competition but like zoom out and all along she had like three extra plans this whole time it's that it's not as long as the other ones it's like pretty contained Throne of Glass I think is a cool ass book and then when that was so successful they were like okay, I guess you can have like 500 extra pages and like whatever. And they get a little 
they get a little out of hand, frankly, but I still, I still enjoyed reading them, but I think like she has this ability. It's just like, maybe not what she wants to do. And like what she wants to do is write thousand page horny books. And I'm like, that's fine too. We should release every book as two books. Like the, the sort of, okay, here are the plot points just so you know, because I will lose them. And then like, here's if you want like the full horny experience. And I would read them both, frankly, just so I better understand what's happening. Because at the end, I'm always like, I remember who had sex, but I don't remember why or where or <laughs> Who did action? Like I remember there was fighting, but I that's not that's not what I retain. So anyway, this is a good example of like what is probably a great skill of plotting that I don't always remember. Yes. Oh, and one other reveal, like I think maybe what triggered her asking to use the Lazarus pet for Maggie was it also revealed this whole time. Like the league, you know, they don't want you to have attachments to the outside world, but because Selena is such a good hacker and all that, like she would sneak in and like hack to find online and like keep in touch, not keep in touch. I don't think she ever communicated with Maggie, but keep an eye on Maggie and like see how she was doing and like see her like report cards and her medical uh, records. And she's recently seen like, oh, Maggie only has a few months to live now. And so that was what finally like triggered all of this to like okay now i have to like really escalate my plan and like come to gotham and do all the things yes so she before she got to gotham she sent a whole bunch of money to maggie's foster parents to help pay off all of her medical treatments and then this night as chaos is happening she had sent luke and the police notice that like the leopards have shown up to the hospital but they're not attacking the hospital they're protecting the hospital and Maggie, or not Maggie, um, Selena had called in a favor. So she, you know, has the leopards protecting the hospital, goes into the hospital, takes Maggie, brings her to where she has set up a Lazarus pit in this warehouse on the ley lines outside of Gotham. But as she's running away, Harley and Ivy catch up to her and Harley is just like infuriated by what is happening with the Joker and threatens to stab her and she's like she does stab her yeah well at first she she yeah. threatens and and Selena's like well like it doesn't matter like Maggie's only got like less than an hour to like live I need to get now that she's not on the machines and the medicines at the hospital I need to get her there so she ignores Harley and keeps going and then Harley does fucking stab her she throws a dagger at her into her shoulder and it goes like right through and she starts immediately bleeding a lot and also, by the way, I guess we should specify what happened with the Joker was like, Selena had made this plan, like, I'll meet you at the statue of St. Nicholas in one hour and do the trade off of like, you pay me for the formula for the Lazarus pit. But instead, she sent the cops there and they arrested the Joker, which to me, this is the weakest part of the plan because the Joker is like famously what the cops caught him like the regular ass cops like I don't think so, honey, but I guess they did. In the Catwoman book, they did. Yeah, like this is not his book, and also he'll break out. It's all fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ivy stops Harley from going after Selena again, so she's able to get Maggie in the car and then like take off um, while she is bleeding intensely. And when she gets to the warehouse, like she can barely stand anymore. But just when she's about to collapse, Luke shows up and helps her. And realizes, like, immediately what's going on, that, like, all of this was to save Maggie, who's clearly dying. Um, so he helps Selena get her into the Lazarus pit and then goes off to fight the League of Assassin Assassins. The Assassins I from League. I think you could just call him them League Assassins. The League Assassins who are converging on the warehouse um, so that he can buy her time. 
and he fights for a while and he's losing, but then Ivy shows up and helps him and they're able to defeat them. And Maggie, Selena's able to get Maggie healed by the pit, but she does die in the process. Because mm-hmm. she's just sort of like slowly bleeding out from the stab wound and she's like, uh, I got to like push the buttons, do the thing. Yes. Um, but Maggie, newly resurrected Maggie, begs Luke and Ivy to use the pit to save Selena. But for something that's really not super uh, explained. <laughs> this is uh, this extremely Sarah J. Mesh shit of like, I have like huge stakes and there's only one use in the Lazarus pit. But however, when it seems like everything's at its worst, eh, the it'll work again. Yep. Yeah, it's, there, there's enough actually, it turns out. To, to halfway revive her. And th- there is like this throw off line where Ivy's like, oh, she manually recharged the depleted ley line. It's like, <laughs> with what? How? What are you talking about? I don't care. It's it fine. Made me think, it made me think when the vaccines were first coming out and they were like, there's only two vaccine doses per bottle. And then the bottles got in the hands of doctors and they're like, actually, there's like five doses in here. <laughs> <laughs> so we have way more vaccines than we thought we did uh yeah and just like that they (laughs) they well they like heal her body but she's still like her heart's not beating and then now that maggie is like strong and healed she does cpr and she's the one to like fully bring selena back to life and i did cry a little bit at this scene actually like, like maggie is like doing this whole speech about how like I like when things started going right in my life, like I knew it was you doing this and like, I love you so much. And like, I knew that you were the one secretly paying my hospital bills. And like, even though you couldn't talk to me, like I knew it was, it's like, it's like good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like very dramatic and overwrought, but it's good. (laughs) Mostly I thought it was funny that like, while Maggie's doing like CPR on her, Luke is like trying to come up with like a, like a, shock like an electrical shock to like shock her heart back in and for whatever reason it's taking him so long to do this that like maggie is able to cpr her back to life and he's like oh i guess i don't need this stripped wire anymore <laughs> yeah um but he she he does and maggie's awake again and they luke and selena drop maggie off with her foster dads and selena promises that she and maggie will like hang out in the future but like she can't introduce herself to the foster dads now because you know, she's a wanted criminal. She also reveals that she gave all of her money to Maggie and then to the hospital too, I think, where that was yeah. taking care of her. And Selena decides that she's going to stay in Gotham and because everybody now thinks that like she caused all this chaos and that she like is like the best thief and bad guy in all of Gotham. And he's like, you should use that to help me like take out the real bad guys. And she does. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of like often Catwoman's role of like, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Like I'm bad because I have personal interests and like, I need to fulfill some goals, but like, I'm not bad to like cause terror. Yes. And then there, there is like this moment that's like very tossed off. That I thought was like very funny where Selena and Ivy are hanging out and she's like, how's Harley? And Ivy's like, Harley is unwell. (laughs) 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 Yep. (laughs) You got her. She is unwell. (laughs) 
Um, but she's like in the chaos, like Harley did. Um, like she's at she's getting court ordered therapy, but unlike all the other times, it's like good therapy and it's helping. And like there's a there's an optimistic sense from Ivy, that, like Harley wants to not. Like, Harley doesn't want to be Suicide Squad Harley. She wants to be the Suicide Squad Harley. And, like, she'll get there. Exactly. <laughs> she wants to be Birds of Prey Harley. And so do I. <laughs> yeah. And she she and Selena's like, oh, I made up a new, like, base for myself in the subway system. And there's three bedrooms. So, you guys, we can all be crime roommates. Yeah. And there's room for a lab. And and this is so cute also. When they visit Ivy's greenhouse, Ivy has named a bunch of her plants after Jane Austen heroines. And Selena's like, I prefer Bronte. And they have like a weird, like nerdy, cute friendship banter. And Selena got a cat and named her Jane, which is cute. And I presumably after Jane Eyre, but that one is weird because it's like, well, that also could be an Austen reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, confusing. I hadn't thought about that. I based on that convo, that's why I assumed the cat was named Jane, but it's it's whatever. She's a cat named Jane. And I love that for her. <laughs> and that's the end. That's the end. This book is pretty good, except for the parts that weren't. Yes. And I will say this about the title. The title, she does not steal any souls in this book. The only thing that I can think is that like cats, people, there used to be like a superstition about cats stealing your soul. Oh, okay. And I that's like why I would think that they would maybe come up with that as the title, but it has literally nothing to do with the book. So it's not a very good title. No, I almost wondered if they had named it before she even started writing it. Like Oh, maybe. Because it sounds cool. And I was like, cool, soul stealer. And then I was like, oh wait, what? Soul? Where? Um Yeah. I don't know how this works. I think maybe they said something about like the Lazarus pit brings you back, but like you don't have your soul or something. But then it seems like that's not true. So it would be good for Maggie if she then like right. So meh. yeah, like I know that was a concern for Sarah on Legends of Tomorrow, but yeah. it did not appear to be a concern of Maggie or Selena in this book. Yeah, maybe they just couldn't call it Catwoman Lazarus Pit because that would give it away. <laughs> <laughs> Catwoman Holly Vanderpump rules, whatever. <laughs> oh my god, I would watch the shit out of that show. <laughs> it's Vanderpump rules, but Selena just keeps robbing those dumb bitches. Oh, oh my god. Great idea. <laughs> okay, well, let's we can't we cannot just sit here and brainstorm bravo crossovers as much as i would love to let's move into our dramatic readings um and our first one is luke and holly first meeting each other and uh, meredith will be luke and i will be holly she was young probably somewhere around 20 just a few years younger than him and she stopped short as she beheld him luke mastered himself enough to to offer a half smile as he stepped off the elevator and kept a door open for her with an extended arm. New neighbor, he asked as she resumed approaching, a small smile curling her mouth. Yet knockout was an understatement. Long, lean legs, not at all hidden by the workout gear she wore, and her light exercise jacket that also displayed a tapered waist. As she stopped before him, he got a look right into those green eyes, and wow... I was wondering when we'd meet, 
she said, her voice low and cool, not a trace of an accent, likely from European boarding schools, Swiss if he were to put money on it. She extended a tanned, manicured hand to him, palm down, the same way he'd seen his mom and the other fancy ladies of Gotham City do, as if it wouldn't be unexpected for him to kiss it. Holly Vanderhees. The light calluses on her palm were unexpected, though, as he opted for a quick shake. She probably did crossfit. Even with the long sleeves of her jacket, he could see the strong, sleek shape of her arms. I know who you are, he said with a hint of a smile that usually made ladies go red or start giggling. She only angled her head, that mass of golden hair tilting with her. I suppose you have the upper hand, then. Not a giggle or blush in sight. A woman used to handling men, or making them blush. Interesting. So he went for option B, the roguish grin. Luke Fox. The elevator started beeping. An incessant demand to get out or get in. You can let it go, she said, and the tone, a woman definitely used to giving orders and having them obeyed, definitely old money, maybe even some old world titles to go with it. Luke let go of the elevator doors and they slid shut. I'm sorry I haven't come over to say hi. He lifted the garment bag for emphasis. Been a busy summer. Holly flicked those killer green eyes over him once. Are you attending the museum gala tonight? Only for work purposes, he was tempted to say, but Luke tapped the garment bag, just heading in to get ready. She arched a brow darker than her blonde hair. You need three hours to get dressed? Luke choked on a laugh. And if I did? I'd offer to bring over some face masks and make it a party. See, this is the Batman we need. One who takes time for self-care, time for face masks. Also, this reminded me of one thing we forgot to bring up. Which is, I mean, we mentioned the leopard tattoos, but explicitly, Holly always wears long sleeves to hide the tattoos. Like, and that's so stupid. (laughs) Like, that's so noticeable. If you're going to these, like, galas and wearing, like, ball, like, those kinds of gowns don't usually have long sleeves. And it's noticeable if you're always wearing long sleeves. It's weird. Yeah, I I just, I loved this idea that, First of all, it's like two Christian greys. Like they're both wealthy. They're both judging each other. They both, yeah. they're, both they're in this elevator, very Shonda Rhimes, and like coming in and out. And like I just love that he's like, wow. Well, for a socialite, she's really in good shape. Must be CrossFit. It's just like my favorite thing. Like must be CrossFit because whenever I see anybody like who's like really in good shape, like they could maybe kill somebody, I actually do think maybe it's that CrossFit thing that I'll never do in my entire life. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I certainly never think must be League of Assassins training. Certainly. And maybe I should. Maybe this is my naivete in the world. Yeah, because as we know, Luke Fox is a real boy who lives here. And, and that's why he's so strong. Yes. I mean, not the League, but you know what I mean. Anywho, uh, our next dramatic reading is from one of Gotham City's many, many galas. And I will be Harley Quinn. And Kate will be Selena Kyle, and Meredith will be Poison Ivy. We need exit music. She pointed towards the band standing motionless on the stage against the far wall. Can I make a song request? The band leader was pale as death as he nodded. Selena chuckled, holding her duffel in front of an aging woman she'd chatted with merely 30 minutes ago. So good to see more old money here, the woman had trilled. It had been nearly impossible to keep from throwing her drink in the woman's face. 
It didn't stop Selena from now being rougher than necessary as she plucked the woman's ruby tiara off her head and shoved it into the duffel. No sign of Luke Fox. Perhaps he'd already left. He'd seemed bored to tears when they danced earlier, but perhaps that was Holly's effect on him. Don't stop me now by queen. Harley ordered the band leader as the couple in front of her shed their jewelry like a snake with a second skin. Ivy clicked her tongue, her toxins continuing to leak out and ensnare those before her. They handed over their jewelry without a blink of fear. Good choice. Selena was inclined to agree and hid her laugh as the band struck up the song immediately, the piano player missing the first few notes as his hand shook, but then settling into it. The singer was no Freddie Mercury, but what he lacked in range he made up for with sheer bravado. The audio receptors on her helmet gave Selena an update. Two minutes until those cop cars got here. SWAT team, likely. Harley was dancing to the music, braids swinging as she bounced through the crowd. Ivy was swaying along too, that vine of hers slithering whenever someone seemed to notice her lack of gun and contemplate attacking. Playtime's over, Selena said to them, zipping up her bag. Two echoing zips sounded. Give me a drum beat. And holy hell, the drummer gave it to her. Right as the band paused, the singer putting enough attitude in the lyrics that Selena finally laughed as she faced the enormous windows overlooking the street below and park beyond. She motioned the crowd back against the far wall. Harley hurled one of those colored balls right at the window. A blink, flash, and then... Glass slid to the floor, shattering into countless shards. Someone screamed. The singer didn't miss a beat. I love it. I love the chaos. <laughs> uh, okay, and then one last dramatic reading where uh, Meredith will take her turn as Selena and I'll be Poison Ivy. An inquiring meow sounded across the roof, and Ivy made a small sound of delight. Lowering the paper, Selena smiled at the little gray cat who patted over to them. Stalker, she told the cat as she brushed against Selena's shins, wending through her legs. Ivy leaned over, stroking the cat's back. Do you know that free-range, domesticated cats are responsible for the death of billions of birds and mammals each year? Our little fur baby here is a stone-cold hunter. Selena smiled, scratching the cat's whiskery chin. I'm shaking in my boots. Ivy frowned down at the cat. So are the birds. The cat blinked up at Ivy, as if scowling herself, and scuttled off into the dark. Selena snickered, picking up the paper again and flapping through it. Ivy smirked. You pretend to be serious and broody, but beneath that mask, I know you're smiling all the time. Selena waved her off, snapping the sagging paper upright. She paused at the science section. Sighing, and bored, sighing, sighing as boredom set in, and tapped the article on the front page. You think this stuff is all just hocus pocus? Ivy leaned over, skimming the article. Ley lines? Selena shrugged, glancing to the alley below. All clear. Naturally occurring pathways of energy that run across the earth like highways. Sounds fake to me. Ivy hauled the paper toward herself. Oh, they're real, all right. They've done tests on them. Some of the energy is so strong that if you find a ley line on a hill and put your car in neutral, it can move the car uphill for you. That's gotta be a hoax. Ivy frowned at her over the paper. This is the science section. They don't publish hocus pocus, as you called it. Ivy paused for a moment, as if weighing some internal debate. Selena held still as she did. At last, Ivy nodded, more to herself than anything, and said... There's a ley line outside Gotham. Yeah, you'd think at this moment I would have known literally everything. <laughs> and I was like, fun! 
Um, by the way, one of the one of the reveals in the big like zoom out plan reveal is that because Selena had been sending these anonymous like photos of Catwoman to the paper, they let her also request that they put an article about ley lines in the paper just so that Selena could engineer this moment of like casually talking about ley lines to Ivy so that Ivy would show her exactly where the ley line was. Yeah. Incredible. All right, let's move on to reader's advisory and suggest some things to um, read or watch instead of or in addition to this book. Um, And we'll have a full list up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. My number one, aside from the ones I've already like sprinkled throughout, is the Harley Quinn animated series on HBO. Yes, we've also referred to both Birds of Prey and Legends of Tomorrow, which are two other pieces of DC media that I'm sure you've heard us talk about 700 million times on this podcast, including, and that really is really only today alone, but also, you know, in the past. We love them. I did. I do have some different, I went went in kind of a heist direction. Um, So there are a couple like heist books uh, that I put up on the website, including Iron Cast by Destiny Soria. And then, of course, uh, the wonderful movie Oceans 8 and the 2019 Charlie's Angels, which is is actually kind of like the reverse of a heist, but it's still like, you know, women being cool and having master plans and also being queer. And I love it. Yes. Yeah. Meredith, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, well, I just, I was going to do two plugs. One is if you're sort of on the fence about seeing the Batman, I totally get it. It is three hours, but I think that actually, like, I'm jealous to, uh, like, through you reading this and then seeing it after, because I actually, you know, it weaves in some of these characters. And so I would say, you know, like, if you're on the fence, listen, it's Edward Cullen with his jawline and Zoe Kravitz, <laughs> as I pictured her in this book. Um, and I think it's a lot of fun uh, and very angsty. But the other plug I was going to do is that my friend, young adult author Sarah Farazan, has a, a graphic novel, middle grade uh, DC Universe IP coming out in August called My Buddy Killer Croc, where there's sort of a boy in Gotham who falls in with Killer Croc and it comes out in August, but you can pre-order it now. And I got to tell you, it was so fun watching someone kind of do this process and say what other stories are happening in Gotham when Batman isn't central. And so pre-order that baby. And I would also say for anybody who hasn't watched the Batman, Batman, the animated series, you can watch the episode baby doll, which is something I hope that somebody gets to write about as a book and then go back to the beginning and start over. Maybe you should pitch. You get to write it, Merida. I think I would be so overwhelmed, but I will tell you that I I don't know legally what I'm allowed to say or what I'm allowed (sighs) to claim. No, no, no. It's not about me. It's not about me. Well, it is about me, but it's, it's it's the narcissism thing, but not my work. But I think that if you do order that Sarah Farazan, uh, my buddy killer croc book, you will, you will see, um, you will see some things in it. Um, you will see a character that you might enjoy, that I might enjoy, as that my narcissism might enjoy. (laughs) Okay. I mean, look, you, like, stop. I've already pre-ordered it. I'm ready. Okay. Um, I'm I'm thrilled. Yes. It's it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm excited. Yes. I'm very, honestly, 
DC, like, as stated, like, I'm more of a Marvel person overall. DC has been killing it compared to Marvel in the world of young adult and middle grade stuff. And in these DC icons novels, in their kind of one-shot graphic novels they're doing, I I see it every day in the library. Like, that's what kids want. They're overwhelmed when they come in and see, like, 20-volume series of X-Men. They want, like, a one thing they can pick up. And DC is like, here you go. And Marvel is like, fuck you. And (laughs) just Marvel. Marvel's starting. They're catching up. They've got a couple. But, like, DC is killing it with that kind of thing. And they're getting such good authors. Like, not not only Sarah Farazan, but, like, one of many. But yeah, DC overall, I think, is doing, like, really good things for their middle grade and young adult market. And they're getting, like, really good authors. And, you know, whoever I need to talk to to recommend that uh, noted young adult author Meredith Goldstein be their next one, like, I'll, I'll sign a petition. <laughs> I, I'll I don't tweet. even know what, what character I would pick, but there are so many to choose from. I'm just, I mean, I, that's my one thing with DC with movies is that, like, they have this incredible, you know, roster of really weird villains and they tend to circle around like five you know Mm -hmm. so i think to get really deep in there um you know one of the real randos like condiment man you know like get in (laughs) in there and like give me a backstory give me a whole you know so i you know for sure I, I want to see your calendar man story, Meredith, where it's about like him being threatened by Google Calendar. And- oh, there are so many horror, horror origin stories for a person obsessed with a calendar. I can come up with like 10 right now. Bad <laughs> <laughs> scheduler and like, but also like constantly fears she's missing things. Oh, for sure. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll look for that maybe from DC 2023. I don't know. Right. But um, for sure. Yes. Yeah, my buddy killer croc. I can't wait uh yeah so we'll have all of these and some other ones we didn't get a chance to talk about up at our website worstbestsellers.com um also if you haven't read meredith's books even though they are not about dc characters like why haven't you read them yet you can just pretend that dc characters live near there or that zoe kravitz is all of the characters Just pretend that it was DC fan fiction that she had to change the names to get published and then like try to work backwards and figure <laughs> figure it out. Totally. <laughs> That's kind of a fun thought exercise, but I can't I can't get into it right now because we do have to play the rock paper snicked where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if you were in this book and I'll say who Wolverine would be if you were in this book and Meredith will choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper which is to leave it as is okay so if the Rock was in this book he would play uh, he'd be another guy living in Selena and Luke's building uh, he would catch you know he'd do like a, a kind of like cool rich basically like himself he'd like be playing himself basically um and he would catch selena coming back injured from one of her uh you know crimes and offer to help treat her injuries and uh after doing this a couple times he would cotton on to the fact that she was doing some crimes uh but he'd also be fed up with the wild wealth disparities in gotham there are so many galas uh (laughs) that he would covertly assist selena and ivy and harley uh in their crimes as long as they keep stealing from the rich of course and uh you know help patch them up afterwards and you know be kind of like the father figure it seems like they all really need um, well, speaking of father figure, if if Wolverine were in this, I think that he would 
as he's so prone to doing, he would adopt Maggie when he realized like she needs a father figure. He would like grudgingly take her off to um to a different universe. <laughs> <laughs> he would adopt her from the DC universe, import her to Marvel. You know, I'm I'm sure there's some mutant at the Xavier School that could heal her up. And uh, Selena would come too, and she could get like cool Fight Club training from Wolverine instead of the League of Assassins, and then it would just become you know kind of an X Men story of of Selena fitting in at the school even though she doesn't have mutant powers, but she has like you know her cool Fight Club powers. I mean, this is so unfair uh, because I just watched. X-Men the animated series for the first time and then Wolverine and the X-Men which I highly recommend so Wolverine oh, is like yeah. really on my brain right now so I have to go with Wolverine partly because not only is he totally cut out to be like the da- the dad who's just trying to protect his kid but also I, I, I don't really understand what happens to Maggie post-Lazarus Pit if she's like becomes basically immortal right I mean in my in my idea she's just sort of not only healed as a human but also perhaps extra healed and he would she would need some guidance from an ex ex man to um <laughs> to help her navigate a world where she's impenetrable in that way so that's i got i got to go with with dad wolverine yes I can't argue with this at all. I'm just mostly so delighted that you have seen X-Men, the animated series, and Wolverine and the X-Men. Yes. Uh, which are just such incredible pieces of, you know, media that we have. Art. Of art. Yeah. Art, I, absolutely. I started, I started to try to learn the X-Men, the animated series theme song on the piano. So, like, <gasps> um, and, like, a, I want to, like, play it on a keyboard. And, like, I, I, I really got into it. I mean, I have to say that Wolverine and the X-Men really, it was the first time... I really loved Wolverine, which is really weird when you think about Hugh Jackman and all that, where I was like, oh, I get it. And I don't know why this is clicking for me now. So, um, yeah. And 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 Scott looks hot in it, too. I love hot animated characters. Best. Yes. Um, I'm so happy. I'm I'm nourished hearing this news. Let's move on to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. my god Duarte yes this finally is a book giving gray cats specifically the representation that they deserve by the way if it's not clear from context because I know this is an audio podcast and you cannot see Duarte he is a gray cat (laughs) (laughs) also (laughs) yeah I can Uh, totally see why you were purring so much Duarte like I this is really your type of book and and we really have finally I think you know given you what you've been asking for all of these years we've been doing this podcast. Yes, a book about a gray cat from the streets who gets adopted and given a sort of pretentious name. Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> In this Selena Kyle and I are one. <laughs> All right. Well, Duarte, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So glad to give you this little treat. Uh, Do any humans have any closing thoughts? This was fine. (laughs) You know what? It was a pleasant surprise and it makes me want to go reread some horny fairies. Yeah, this book definitely, I perfectly fine, loved the heist aspect. 
would love to see more like this from SJM, frankly. All right. Well, if you would like to come and talk to us, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Bestsellers, spelled normally. We're on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because uh, the S went on Superman's chest and he's off in another DC Icons book with it. Uh, we also have a uh, Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on Goodreads. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all of the places where podcasts live. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review, then we're not going to give back all of the jewelry that we stole from you at that fancy gala for saving the podcasts. And we canceled your insurance policy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh you can also find us at Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like uh, pay for our website hosting, new equipment, reimbursing people for books they have to buy to read on this podcast, etc. Uh, and in return, there's perks for you like a newsletter, stickers and postcards in the mail, and all sorts of other things. We also have a merch store available, which you can find by going to worstbestsellers.com and looking for the merch section, where there are all sorts of designs from this podcast to wear on your body. Finally, we have a Discord server where fans of the show can talk to each other and us and look at pictures of people's pets and talk about how horny Sarah J. Mass books are or how great Legends of Tomorrow is or really anything you want. And that link is also available on worstbestsellers.com. Um, one more thing that will be on worstbestsellers.com is just another reminder to register for our live event with Porter Square Books. Click the link. It'll be there. You know how links work. Yeah. Click them. <laughs> um, if you'd like to find me and my beautiful gray cat Duarte, we are online at Renata Snacks on Instagram and uh, Twitter. You can find me on social media, sort of. I'm kind of on a break at 14 across. And Meredith, where are you? I'm at Meredith Goldstein on Instagram, which I use not that well. And on Twitter at Meredith Goldstein, but only up until the E because my name is just too darn long for social media. Superman also stole those letters for his own reasons. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Letter hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) They're up in his cave of solitude. It's just... He's just got letters on the wall. Um, it's fine. Uh, you also, again, should read Meredith's books and listen to her podcast, Love Letters. Yes. Uh, recently, there was another friend of Worst Bestsellers on it. You could listen to Margaret H. Wilson and Meredith Goldstein and the same podcast. Yes. Iconic. Uh, I think that's probably all the things. And if not, they'll be on our website. More things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll be back in two weeks with The Maze Runner by James Dashner, I guess. Exciting. That's the thing we're doing. Uh, Meredith, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me for such a, a, such an okay book. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. The best you can hope for, really. (laughs) Um, Well, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.
So I'm just happy that for once it wasn't my fault, whatever's happening. 